0: prayer, if we could, please. Our Father, we bow our hearts low before you, giving you honor and praise which you so rightly deserve. Father, we recognize that you are God and we are not. And Lord, we submit ourselves before you this morning, desiring to worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, we thank you for the scriptures and the clarity that is contained therein. Pray that by your spirit you'll illumine our minds and give us an understanding that is beyond ourselves. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, guide the very words I speak this morning, that they would be pleasing to you and bring honor to you. Father, we desire that Canton Bible Church would be a place where the scriptures are taught and explained and that your spirit would make them alive in our hearts. So we thank you this morning for this chance to be together. Pray that you would be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is week number 25 in our study of the book of Daniel, and last week we finished chapter 7, and I would normally just move right on into chapter 8, but I I doubt that we'll get there this morning. There's some things I wanna say and we started talking about those last week. And uh, so we'll get into those in just a minute. As we looked at the uh, interpretation, both the vision and the interpretation that were given to Daniel in chapter seven, there are some very specific things that we can pull out that we had not seen before anywhere in the scriptures. Um, If you read from Genesis up through Daniel, you will not have seen any of these things that uh, Daniel saw in this vision. Uh, The first was that four beasts come up from the sea, and then very clearly the scripture says these are uh, kings that arise from the earth, meaning they're human beings, uh, they're beasts and what they're represented by because of their actions and what they do. But all these kings are human beings that just simply rise up and control kingdoms. And then we saw the uh, God, the Ancient of Days, seated on his throne. And the purpose of that is for judgment. It says that he comes with uh, fire on the wheels of his throne, that there's a river of fire flowing out from before his throne, clearly representing judgment. And then also that the books were opened And so this is a courtroom scene um, when the Ancient of Days is seen by Daniel. And then, of course, while God is seated on his throne, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, Daniel calls him, the same place that uh, what Jesus often called himself, pulling from this vision um, from Daniel, calling himself the Son of Man. And he comes before the throne, and he's presented with a kingdom. And uh, do, uh, dominion, authority, um, sovereignty even over the kingdom that will last forever. And just before that happens, we saw that the little horn that grew big, that blasphemes against God, that speaks against God, that ultimately wears down the saints, that he is thrown into the lake of the river of fire that's flowing, from the throne of God, meaning that He's judged first. He's the first one that is eternally judged and thrown into the lake of fire. Obviously, others will be later, but even before the Son of Man is presented with His kingdom, this little horn is thrown into the lake of fi- into the river of fire. And then we saw that the fourth beast, the fourth kingdom, the human kingdom is different from all the others in that there's no single animal that could be used to describe them. We looked over at Revelation where it says that several uh, animals are needed to describe what this beast looks like. And so he's very different from the other beasts. And we saw that the 10 horns on his head actually represent the consolidation of 10 nations. 10 nations will come together and give their sovereignty to the, to the horn, and he will then wreak havoc, uh, having much power from those ten nations. And he is able even, shocking to Daniel, to overcome the saints of God. And we've, we saw that in multiple places in Scripture, that the saints of God will be worn down, that their strength will be broken, um, basically they'll be wiped out And the little horn will be um, winning the battle. He'll be gaining an advantage. He'll be uh, controlling the world. He'll be destroying um, the Christians. And all of those who don't give allegiance to him could be more than just the Christians. And so these are things that we saw in this book, this vision that Daniel had. And ultimately, we saw the end game. And that is that the sovereignty, the dominion, the kingdom is given to the saints of the highest one. And we again looked in several places in scripture that say that. Um, There's a lot to happen before that happens. But nevertheless, the, the end of the human history is that the saints of God have the kingdom, reign in the kingdom. Along with Jesus Christ, we saw... But nevertheless, um, even for a time, it looks like that's not gonna happen, but ultimately Daniel saw in the vision that is the last thing that happened. And so Daniel's overcome, he's uh, appalled, he's weakened, his face grows pale, he's affected physically, um, and he doesn't tell anybody. The beginning of the book tells us that he writes it down, so he'll remember it, but he doesn't share it with anybody else until he writes the book of Daniel. And so this vision is broad, um, predicts human history all the way from the time of Daniel when the kingdom of Babylon was reigning, that was the first beast, all the way through the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. So it sweeps through all of history, really. I mean, certainly there was some history before um, the Babylonian kingdom, but Daniel, you know, didn't live then, but he lives now. And so this book goes from the time of Daniel all the way through the end of the millennial kingdom. And so it's um, at least, what would that be? At least um, 3,500 years, um, because we're now at something like 25, 26, 2,700 years, and there's another thousand to go if Jesus came today. So this this book covers the vast majority of human history and the kingdoms that will endure. Now I've mentioned several times that I believe this fourth beast represents both the Roman Empire at the time when Jesus Christ came, and it also represents what we see over in Revelation where the beast comes out of the sea um, again, with the ten horns on his head and the ten kings are mentioned and the saints being worn down is there. I mean, all these things that Daniel has seen briefly are seen in more detail over in Revelation. And so I take this beast, this fourth beast, as being the beast that exists at the um, tribulation time. And so the question arises, and it's a legitimate question, okay, it's been um, 2,100 years since Jesus Christ was crucified, and so how do you go from the time of Jesus Christ and the, the beast, this fourth beast being the kingdom of Rome, to the tribulation time, which is still yet future? How do, how do you get there believing that's the same beast? And the, there are many who have a theory that uh, the Roman Empire uh, is arisen again out of the nations in Europe. Um, When the EU first began to be formed, there were people saying, see, there it is, you can see it, you can see it, and then it was 10 nations, and then it was 12 nations, and it was 15 nations, and today it's about 22 nations. And so that doesn't fit the 10 nations. Um, So, there's questions. Um, those who believe that the this is not literal, that the millennial reign um, isn't a real time that we're living in it now, and it's our job as the church to transform the society and usher in the reign of Christ took huge blows to that theory with World War One and World War Two. Um, everything's supposed to be getting better, right? And then you have world wars, and so that theology took a significant hit, although there are still many today that hold to that. And then there are others who um, don't hold to that and believe that there is a tribulation coming and it will be a rebuilding of the Roman Empire out of the European nations. I don't believe either one of those. And so I believe that there will be a tribulation, there will be a fourth beast, but it will not be European in its nature. Um, there may be some European countries that are included, but it certainly won't be centered in Europe like the Roman Empire initially was. And so, you need an explanation that begs the question, how do you get from the Roman Empire that was in Rome to the tribulation time and this fourth beast still being there? And it's a legitimate question, and I've thought a lot about this. You may not be satisfied with my answer, but I am. And so um, you have to come to conclusions if you're going to go that route. And I, the more I see in history, the more I'm convinced um, that this, the way that I parse this is right. I don't demand that you go with me, but I need to give you an explanation, those who will listen to this possibly... Uh, At a later time, an explanation of how I get there. I believe that the beast in Daniel, the beast in Revelation, and the description of Jesus Christ in Matthew 24, and a little bit in some of the other gospels, is all the same thing. It's all speaking of the same thing. This fourth beast overcoming the saints. I believe is during the tribulation time Jesus Christ saying there would be an abomination of desolation You need to run to to the hills is all speaking about the same time frame There are many who would disagree with me on that and i'm okay with that But that's the way that I see the scriptures coming together is that all three of those um, Passages in scripture and they're long all speak about the same time frame so I believe that the tribulation is the 70th week of the 70 weeks of Daniel that are given in chapter 9 that we'll talk about in much detail. I believe that the Messiah was cut off in the 69th week as Daniel's vision, as Gabriel will tell Daniel, and that we've been waiting during the church age, which was not seen in the Old Testament clearly, that we've been waiting for the 70th week of Daniel and that it will come and God knows when it will come, but we're not there yet. Although the signs of the times have been alive. I can, I can remember very clearly in like 95 through 2000, every major preacher that I listened to, just about, not all of them, but um, I, I wasn't reformed at the beginning of that 1995, but by 2000 I was reformed. It happened in 1997 is where my doctrine significantly shifted. But most of the guys were saying, I just have a feeling, right? That we're almost there because 2000 was coming and there was all this impending doom and destruction and all the computers are gonna explode and all the craziness that people thought was gonna happen. And I just have a feeling. Well, their feelings were wrong. And so I don't have a feeling today. I just see the signs of the time and know it's going to ultimately happen. But I don't have a feeling that it's impending to happen tomorrow. Although it could happen tomorrow. And so you, we ought to be expecting and watching and studying and waiting and praying, and, uh, but yet living in the present and not waiting for the future. So um, this interpretation that I have Demands an explanation. And last week we began to look at that explanation. And I think you have to look at the Roman Empire and what has happened in human history after it in order to figure out. um, And again, I'm not trying to read my interpretation into the scriptures. I would never do that. But to interpret it the way that I do, you have to have an explanation. And so I'm going to try and give you this explanation. Last week we began to look at it And we looked at some facts, just things that absolutely happened in human history. And the first was that most people count the beginning of the Roman Empire in 146 BC, when um, the Macedonian um, region fell to Rome and became a Roman province in 146 BC. So not that far before Jesus Christ. And that's where most people mark the beginning of the Roman king- kingdom. The Greek peninsula fell. The area of Macedonia became a province. Uh, Rome then began to expand greatly rapidly from that time forward. Um, obviously, during the time of Jesus Christ, the kingdom was flourishing. Um, by that time, they had pushed all the way down to Palestine. Palestine was a Roman province. Um, had Roman appointed... Um, governors and leaders, and um, basically the people of Israel were, um, had to be subservient to the Roman Empire, Jesus Christ being crucified by the Romans. And so it continued to flourish and expand. Um, most people mark the height somewhere between 1 and 200 um, A.D., And at that time, the Roman Empire had uh, taken most of Northern Africa uh, along the Mediterranean Sea. All of that was within their empire. They had pushed down uh, into Egypt. Egypt was part of the Roman Empire. All of Turkey, all of Europe was. Britain was part of the Roman Empire. Um, I mean, it was vast and expansive, pushed all the way down into the Middle East, all the way down the Mesopotamia, all the way down to the Persian Gulf. Um, so they nobody goes into Saudi Arabia, what is today Saudi Arabia, because there's nothing there. It's just sand and heat. So people didn't care so much about it. So that wasn't part of theirs. But all of Egypt and all the region around Egypt was part of the Roman Empire. And so um, obviously great expansion, great power, um, and by the way, the um, this will be very important later. Most of the armies of the Roman Empire were not Roman. They were from the nations that they captured. And we'll see, this will be super important, that the people who took Rome in 70 AD were mostly Syrian, not Roman. And so we'll go through that, and I'll detail all of that for you um, because it's important because in Daniel chapter 9, he'll say the people of the um, prince who is to come will destroy Jerusalem. And those weren't Romans. So we'll talk about that in more detail. But um, then you it, meant to say they took Jerusalem. Sorry, Jerusalem. What did that say? Rome. Yeah, no, they took Jerusalem when they destroyed the temple in 70 AD. Who did that will be a very significant question. Because most people who believe in the uh, reunification and um, rebuilding of, the, of Rome in Europe run to chapter nine and they say, see right there, it says that the prince who is to come is of Roman descent. And it doesn't say that. And we'll look at that and try and make some sense of all of that. So um, finally in 330 AD, Constantine the Great moved the capital of the Roman Empire from Rome to a city that was called Byzantium. He renamed it Constantinople. Today it's Istanbul, which is in Turkey, northern Turkey, Uh, in Asia actually, not in Europe. And so um, he moved the capital city, so it was in Rome for approximately 480 years something like that. And then the center of the Roman Empire moved to Constantinople. Um, Constantine um, was Christian, and so a lot of Christian symbols in the city of Constantinople. If you go there today, you'll see Muslim symbols. But I'm told that behind the Muslim symbols are Christian symbols, because that was what was originally constructed and engraved in the city but when the Muslims took over um, uh, what was called Constantinople, they put up their own symbols over the Christian symbols. So um, we'll get to that in a minute. So in 330, the center of the Roman kingdom moved, typically what's called the Western uh, Roman Empire or the Byzantine Empire, but all the same, all go by the same name, um, but that's what's meant by the Byzantine Empire is the Eastern Roman Empire. So the Western Roman Empire, which was, had been centered in Rome, bes- began to degrade rap- rapidly once it was no longer the city. A lot of Germanic tribes, a lot of tribes out of uh, Italy and out of Spain and France would raid the city periodically until ultimately in 476, Rome fell and was no longer part of the Roman kingdom. And, but Constantinople was still there. Um, most of Europe was lost to the Roman Empire, but they still controlled all the other lands that I talked about, including especially the Middle East, was still part of the Byzantine Empire. Important to, to think about that. So that's kind of where we left off last year. We did say that um, from Constantinople, um, that that Byzantine Empire, which was centered in Constantinople and had much to do with the the Renaissance, had much to do with the uh, Industrial Age coming to Europe, because they still had influence, they just didn't control. Um, That all came out of the Byzantine Empire. The Crusades, which we all know about, probably was one of the major reasons the Byzantine Empire fell. As, as the Crusades all took place and the Muslims fought against the Christians, um, all trying to take Jerusalem, right? Back and forth, back and forth, killing and slaughtering and many mercenaries and just a, a horrendous time in history. All the Middle Ages, the Byzantine Empire was ruling and controlling and in power. So for a thousand years, the... Eastern Roman Empire ruled from Constantinople all the way up until um, 1453 AD. So you see the Roman Empire, this beast that is mentioned here that crucified Jesus Christ is the one who cut him off in Daniel chapter 9, lasted for like over 1,500 years. But most of it, the majority of it, was based out of Constantinople, not out of Rome. Now, that would shock a lot of people. People would say that can't be true. But it's what history shows us. We know the Byzantine Empire was the dominant, controlling, influencing, and military power that ruled the world all the way up until the 1400s, mid-1400s. Yeah, yeah. which is what led to all the wars later. Andy said that um, when Constantine moved the capital, and and he was Christian, clearly Christian in his own way, right, Um, that he declared the world religion, really, would be Christianity. And, of course, the Muslims didn't like that and that's what led to a lot of the wars that happened. But nevertheless, that was a, a declared dictate of the most powerful man on the planet, making that de- declaration. Okay, then in 1453, the Roman, Eastern Roman Empire, the Byzantine Empire, fell to the, to the Muslims, to the Ottoman Empire and the Ottoman Empire in broad stroke then existed until World War I. So you have this other power moving into the same city, into Constantinople, renamed it Istanbul, changed it into a Muslim city, and installed the Muslim caliphate all the way down, especially into the Middle East, all of Turkey, all of the lands to the east of Turkey. Um, you did have the Seleucid Empire, which wouldn't so much go along with all the Muslims, but nevertheless, they were the controlling power. They also influenced greatly what was going on up in Europe, um, controlled much of it at their beginning. Basically, they took over everything that the Byzantine Empire had been controlling And then slowly they began to lose the European countries, that one after the other, the people of those countries would rebel against the Ottoman Empire. And so it began to lose Europe, which became fragmented into all the countries that we see today, but then still controlled all of Turkey, all of the land to the north of Turkey, all the land down into the Middle East, all the way down to the Persian Gulf, all those countries that we see today, all part of the caliphate that was installed by the Muslims. Now, a caliphate simply means um, that they fall under the rulership of a caliph. A caliph is a religious leader who um, controls people, controls the country controls the government. So it's a religious government control. And there have been many caliphs. You can go to the Ottoman Empire and you can see who the caliphs were through the years. Um, but that's that's what they called the caliphate. That's what they're looking for today to be reinstalled, is the Muslim caliphate. You can read their literature today and you'll see um, that's what is intended. So. The unique thing for me, and this is where the big change happens with the change from um, the Byzantine Empire to the Ottoman Empire, is that it's centered in the same city. That was never true of all of the other kingdoms that we've looked at. When the Persians took over the Babylonians, Babylon was not their capital city. Through the history of the Persians, they had four different capital cities. One of them was Babylon later, but when Cyrus became the sole ruler of the Persian Empire, he was not based in Babylon. He was based in one of the cities um, out of the Persian Empire, which was further to the south. And so not the same city. When the uh, Persians fell to Alexander the Greek, he did not make Persia His capital city. Matter of fact, Alexander didn't make any city his capital city because he soon died. And his kingdom was split into four kingdoms. And none of them used Persia as their capital city. And so, again, a disconnect there. Then, when the Greeks took over, sorry, when the Romans took over the Greek Empire, they did not move their capital city to Greece, it was Rome centered in Italy. And then they expanded from there, ultimately moved to Constantinople. But when the Muslims, when the Ottoman Empire took over the Roman, the Byzantine Empire, they used the same city. First time that you see that in all these kingdoms. I think that's significant, that they ruled out of Constantinople, Istanbul today. And so, there was basically a swapping of powers who controlled that city and the empire moved from Christian to Muslim. Okay, so, go ahead. hundred years of just two religions. Right. Yeah, I mean, today in the the hatred that goes on um, between the different religions is no different than what happened during the Crusades. It's just a repeat of the same thing. We just haven't gone to war yet, right? I mean, that's that's the reality of it. Is all those wars that you talk about were religious wars in the Middle East, and they're still religious wars and there was no Israel, and Israel didn't exist until, what, 1947. And so, when the Ottoman Empire was in power, there was no Israel. All of that was Muslim-controlled, what's called the Muslim Caliphate. So, um, I see that control of the world out of Constantinople out of Istanbul, out of Byzant- Byzantium, to be the precursor of the control that will be exist during the tribulation time. And that's how I get there. That's the, how I make the connect. It's not so much who's in control as where is in control. And this beast that I think will rise again is anti-Christian. That's clear in the tribulation. It's clear in Daniel, right? He wears down the saints of the Most High. He overcomes them. He shatters their power. It's anti-Christian. So and that today, I mean, if you go to Istanbul, you will not think it's a Christian place because it's not. Okay, so that's the way I get there. Now, the Ottoman Empire, like I said, lost Europe country by country. Still contain what people call European today is Turkey, but Turkey's really in Asia. It's not in Europe. So um, you, and and Istanbul is right up on the northern border of the country of Turkey. So um, they began to lose their power and ultimately what they did in, when World War I began to swept the world, they joined with the Central Powers, with Germany and Austria, and fought with them against the Allied Powers. And so that's the side they were on. And so the Ottoman Empire was still, in, um, existed and still had a caliphate until World War I was done. And in, what was it, 1923, when all the pacts and treaties and all became effective, the Ottoman Empire no longer existed. All those countries were broken up and went to Russia and to Britain and to, um, who else got some of those countries? Um, I've got it written down here. You could help me find it. Uh, to Russia, Greece, France, and Britain got most of the division of countries. Today, there, Iran and Iraq and Saudi Arabia and Jordan and Lebanon, Syria, all those places, didn't, I mean, that's where they got their origin from, was from the world wars. And so the Ottoman Empire existed through 1920. So you go, and this beast goes all the way back to 150 BC and comes pretty close to present day, 1920, uh, 1920. So over 2,000 years, this concentration of power that was world-dominating out of ultimately Constantinople, Istanbul. So that's the beast that I see. Um, Don't demand that you go there with me. Um, Very interesting that if you read the eschatology of the Muslim faith, um, it is basically carte blanche revelation with the Mahdi being the antichrist And with jesus christ being the false prophet that is muslim eschatology you can go read it for yourself it's not like it's hard to find or hard to understand it's it's in black and white and that's what they believe they believe jesus christ was not crucified he was taken to heaven by god before the crucifixion so that he could return during the reign of the mahdi to tell the Christians on the earth that they're wrong, that he's not the Messiah, and that if they don't give assent to that, he, Jesus Christ, will kill the Christians. That's Muslim eschatology. That's what they believe, so that's what they teach. So it turns Revelation on its head, and you can go read it for yourself. Um, it's, it's easy to find. So, and there's other things that cause me to believe at this time, the best I can make of it is that the beast that we see in the tribulation times will be based out of that area in Turkey, will be Muslim in origin, and will make a pact with the Jews to allow the Jews to rebuild their temple in Jerusalem on the site that today has a mosque. Don't know if it'll be over the mosque or how they'll do that, but there'll be a pact that he will break at the middle of the tribulation at three and a half years. And then it all breaks loose. Before that time during the tribulation, you have mainly cosmic things going on. Uh, you have tidal waves, you have tsunamis, you have uh, what is called um, wormwood falling out of heaven. They're natural disasters of cataclysmic effects such that a third of the people on the planet die in those three and a half years. So massive, massive Um, killing of people, but not, I mean, there are some wars, but that's not the dominating effect. We'll all see all that when we get to Revelation. Now, for you to think about, you remember that the little horn came up and there were 10 horns and three of them were pulled up by the roots. Okay, again, tying into the Muslim um, thought, there are mainly two sects of Muslims today. I think you you know this, that you have the Sunni and the Shia. The Sunni being the vast majority, like 90% of the Muslims in the world are um, um, Sunni. And Muslim, Islam is the fastest growing religion on, on the planet and not even close to the other religions. So uh, in probably almost 10 years ago now, there were 1.5 billion Muslims on the planet. So, you know, the planet's like six and a half billion people. So it's like a quarter of the people on the planet. And that was 10 years ago and it's growing rapidly. And you do see, I mean, Muslim, uh, Islam is growing in the United States because it's easy to become a Muslim. I mean, it's really easy. All you have to do is say the right phrase and you are in, Um, but also you see it in Europe that Europe has a real problem because most of the immigrants who've moved into uh, into the European countries are Muslim. And so they're changing the culture of many of the European countries. So um, <clears throat> that's according to the plan of God. So, you know, we can't fret about these things, they're just factual. <clears throat> so, when you think about the three horns that are pulled up by the roots, today there are three countries in which Shia Muslims dominate. So is that what's going on when you see those 10 horns giving their power because three of the horns are torn out by the roots and killed? Maybe that has something to do with the Muslim theology. that Today, Saudi Arabia being Sunni, Iran being Shia warring with one another Not so much on the surface, but there's a lot going on between those two countries. And it's what causes most of the instability in the Middle East today, is the division of the Muslims into the two sects. They war against one another, Iraq against Iran. Same, Same thing going on. And so maybe that is what's being pictured when three of the horns are torn out by their roots. Don't know that? But it certainly makes sense that the Sunnis would destroy the Shia, take over their, kill their kings, take over their people, basically. And if you're underneath those kings who get killed, what are you going to do if you're a Muslim? Don't know. But, I mean, that all kind of fits together in my mind. Um, We're in, you know, 2021. Uh, This could not happen for maybe another thousand years and things may change but from where we're at and from our interpretation and from what we look at that all makes perfect sense and maybe it just grows going into the future until it's the natural order most people think of the thing of the way the world goes Um, one thing is clear the end game is still the same that in the end the saints of the Most High God get the kingdom. Even if they're killed during the transition, during the tribulation, they still inherit the kingdom at the end. So that is what we need to anchor our hope on. Not so much on the world politics, although watch them with interest. No, not so much what's going on in other countries and even in our own country um, and, and to fear about those things, but to... Take heart, as I'm sure Daniel did, in what God has revealed will happen. I mean, the if you think about it in the grand scheme of things, the reign of the little horn in the tribulation times is very short. It's only three and a half years because Jesus Christ will bring it to an end when he desires to. And so it's not like it goes on for hundreds of years. It's very bad, and it's cataclysmic, and many people are, are killed, but it only lasts for three and a half years. And then God brings it to an end. And the reign of righteousness and the saints of God begin to reign for a thousand years. So this is the way that I get from the beast being the Roman Empire to still existing in the tribulation time. The beast has only not been in control for 100 years. If you go back 125 years ago, you still had the Muslim caliphate in place. So it's only been 100 years, and there is no dominating world power today, although we'd like to think we're it. We're not. The sovereignty of the world is fragmented and it's the job of the beast in the end times to consolidate it, and he will. So, But there is no dominating world power today. I mean, you could, you could say the United States, you could say China, you could say Russia, I mean, you could say the EU. I mean, it's just all fragmented. And so there is nobody who controls the world today. And there hasn't been anybody who controlled enormous swaths of land since the muslim caliphate ended in world war 1
1: Particularly with Isaiah 32, refers
0: to the Assyrian. Right. The the definite article, the Assyrian, literally says,
1: uh, as Isaiah is speaking, turn to him whom people have equally revolted over children of Israel. So we're talking about some point at which Israel is being called. Isaiah 31 and the Assyrian shall all I have swore not of
0: man right and he goes on with three or four verses and then he comes to
1: our chapter 32 and says behold a king will reign in righteousness and princes will rule in justice which is that beautiful return so in the very context definite article the Assyrian Israel right?
0: yeah. and then the Lord's return yeah, Isaiah 31 and 32, pretty incredible passage of scripture. Um, and when it, when it says that, uh, like a sword, not of human, remember when the uh, beast comes out of the sea in Revelation chapter 13, he's given his power by Satan himself. So that's what it means. It doesn't mean that the beast isn't a human being. It means that his power is not human. It comes from Satan. And so, uh, you know, it's clear in Daniel that the beast has eyes and a mouth that speaks. That's a human being. But his power comes from Satan himself. Same for the false prophet. His power comes from Satan. So that's the way I get there. I don't demand that you agree with me. um, But it is the way that I'll teach it. Um, and you need to think about it. Of, you know, and and there are many men that I love that believe in both the millennial reign is now, and there's not a literal millennial reign, and that the beast in tribulation times is European-centric. I have no, I mean, we still love each other, we still talk about it, we don't argue, I won't argue with you, but it's the way that I parse it. So um, hopefully that gives you some explanation of where, what I've been talking about. So next week, if the Lord wills, we'll start into chapter 8. And chapter 8 is uh, a foreshadowing of the abomination of desolation. We'll see it in clear colors in chapter 8. So thanks for your time this morning.